Pastor Xavier Reese and the vastness of the gospel. Romans 3.22 says, Even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. Now, how can you get only a few from that? You can't. I don't understand how people can believe that God chose a few only to be saved and then chose the remainder and the majority of humanity to be damned. That's not what's taught in the Bible. He died for all. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Well, that familiar childhood limerick didn't take into account the true power of hurtful words. But there are also words with the power of healing as well. That's what Pastor Xavier brings to light in today's Simple Truth study from the book of Romans, chapter 1, titled, Nothing But the Pure Gospel. Let's listen. Augustine Hippo was a brilliant man, philosopher, uh, professor, and um, he was living an immoral life. And he sat in the garden one day, an afternoon, and he heard a voice of a child say, Tele legi, take up and read, take up and read. And so he got up and he picked up the Bible and he read from the 13th chapter of Romans the following. It says, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering or wantonness, not in strife or in envying, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. And there the truth convicted him and he was converted and saved, becoming a great influence to the church and certainly to the reformers that would come in many years later. On November 15, Martin Luther, Augustinian monk, professor of sacred theology in the University of Wittenberg, expounded the book of Romans until the next September. And as he read, he read this expression, the righteousness of God, he was baffled. Till one day he realized, as he was meditating and pondering upon it, that the truth was the righteousness that God, through grace and mercy, justifying us by faith. And you know the rest is history. Luther became the catalyst for the Reformation. And Luther called the book of Romans the purest gospel. And the Puritan Thomas Drakesey called Romans the quintessence and perfection of saving doctrine. This is exactly Paul's sentiment about the epistle to the Romans as he declares just prior to these verses in verse 14 and 15 that he was a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarian, both to the wise and unwise. Therefore, he was ready to preach the gospel to them at Rome also. He knew that there was nothing that could save man, help man in his relationship to God except for the gospel. He's been doing it for 22, 23 years. We pointed out in the introduction Now, having stated this to the Romans, Paul declares his full confidence and dependency on the gospel alone for salvation for sinful man. And he does this right here in verses 16 and 17. This is the key verses to Romans, the heart and theme of justification, the gospel in a nutshell. And so Paul's declaration about the gospel of Christ is characterized by three things. Let me read verse 16 and 17. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, 
for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Here's the three things that is characterized by the declaration of the gospel. First, the proclamation about the gospel, the first part of 16. Then you have the definition of the gospel, the rest of 16. And then he finishes off with the explanation of the gospel in verse 17. The proclamation about the gospel. Listen to him. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The apostle Paul declared his personal commitment to the gospel here. Don't miss it. Paul told the Romans that he was not ashamed of the gospel. The word ashamed basically means the feelings of fear or embarrassment for what one uh, has done, said, or who you're affiliated with. And it hinders you from being and doing what you're to do and be with a clear conscience. You shirk back. That's embarrassment. Now, the tense is the indicative present. This was Paul's condition. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now, some see here what's called a litotis, a term that is used for the opposite expression, as if Paul was saying, I'm proud of the gospel. I'm not quite sure that that fits here. I'm not going to argue about it. I think Paul is just saying, I'm not ashamed, and his boldness declared it. It's simple. Now, the word appears 11 times in the New Testament, two times to Timothy. Listen to him. 2 Timothy 1.8, Paul says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Don't be ashamed. Then in 2 Timothy 1.16 and 17, he says, The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived at Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. He was not ashamed. Now, when you affiliate yourself with a prisoner in Rome, sometimes you were marked, especially the gospel. He was not ashamed. Now, Paul was not embarrassed or felt any shame identifying himself with the gospel or proclamation of the gospel, knowing what it was and its power to save lost man. He did not think the gospel was inferior to the knowledge of that day. Nothing of that day. Nothing could help man. Pagans call Christian atheists, as you know. The philosophers in, at Athens were mocking the concept of the resurrection in Acts 17. The Jews thought Christianity subverted the law and encouraged licentiousness, so it became a stumbling block to them, 1 Corinthians 1.23. To the Greeks, they were intellectual. They said it's foolishness, the same, God, the same scripture in Corinthians. Rome became hostile, as you know, persecuting Christians unto death, especially during Nero's reign. Paul was very aware that the name Christian was given to the believer in mockery and derision, and they embraced it as a badge because it means Christ-like. The first time they were called Christians is Acts eleven twenty six 26 at Antioch. Before that, they were called those on the way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's where it comes from. Look at the book of Acts. The way, the way, the way. But they took this, even as Hitler gave the Jews that yellow Davidic star to mark them. They took it to themselves as a badge of honor. And when they declared their independence in 48, they put it on their flag. The Christians took that. So next time you ask somebody, don't ask them if they're a Christian. Ask them, are you Christ-like? They'll think twice before they answer you. 
Notice the Apostle Paul declared the gospel was not religion. Paul understood that religion is a means to reach God. He used to be a religious person. The Jewish religion was very, very detailed. Now, religion is through rules that are set apart man bringing about behavioral changes. Often, in addition to the gospel, always exalting them above the gospel, the rules, always. Through regulations to conform to a standard, often contradicting the gospel, usually abasing some men while exalting others. Through real ceremony and ritual also to give an appearance of spiritual godliness by the things we do, to be seen of men, to afflict our bodies in pain and suffering as Martin Luther did before he was freed by the gospel, and all to attempt to merit our relationship with God. Now the gospel was and is a revelation of God about himself to lost man, about the perilous condition of man and to remedy that with a reconciliation to God. That's what the gospel is. The word gospel, as you know, means good news, glad tidings. We get the word evangelism from it. The word appears 77 times, 55 times in the verb, and 14 are found in Romans. So it's, it's key to the book of Romans. Now the message from heaven is the only good news that man has ever received. Everything else that's related to God from the human aspect is opinion, is speculation. It is worthless. What man says has to be checked by the gospel, by the word of God. So if it contradicts the word of God, then it's worthless. The good news and glad tidings was that proclaimed by the angels, remember, in Luke 2, 10 through 14, to the shepherds as they were rejoicing that the Messiah was born, bringing peace and Goodwill towards men. This is the gospel. The apostle Paul declared the person of Christ. Notice that. Some manuscripts omit the title Christ, but it's throughout the epistle, and the majority of texts have it, so I don't even worry about that. The title, as you know, means Messiah, the anointed of God. Jesus declares that he was the Messiah of God. And Isaiah 61.1, he quoted it as he went into the synagogue in Nazareth in Luke 4, 16 through 19. He says, this day your scriptures are fulfilled in your hearing. And he quoted from it. Jesus is the author of the gospel. Jesus is the subject of the gospel. No one else. Paul identified the gospel in his opening salutation already as we saw in our last study. In verse 1 there he calls it the gospel of God the Father. He says that it was promised by the prophets in the Old Testament scriptures in verse 2. And he says it concerns God's Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and the God-man who rose from the dead in verse 3 and 4. And then he says in verse 5 that it is through Christ that grace is received to be saved. That includes all nations. Now, you want to make it less, broader? Everybody needs to come, all nations. There's no exception. You know, the pig and the chicken were having a conversation about being committed to help out the farmer for breakfast. And the chicken says, well, I'll provide the eggs. You can provide the bacon. So the pig kind of hesitated and says, well, um, you see, you understand the chicken was involved, but the pig was committed. It's a picture of the church today. Now, in this illustration, I want to be the pig. I want to be committed. The chicken's just involved. 
Do you and other people know that you're committed to the gospel? When your neighbor asks you, why do you spend so much in church? Why do you carry that Bible? What's with the sticker on your car? <laughs> do you shirk back? Do you feel inferior because you don't believe the evolutionary hypothesis, even though they have their degrees, but you, you just believe the simple, straightforward record that God created everything? You're not inferior. You're light years ahead of them. <laughs> How do you respond to ridicule and mockery at work, at home, or wherever it may be? That'll tell you where you're at. Matthew 10, 32, 33, Jesus says, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I also will deny my fa- before my Father in heaven. Jesus always asked for a public confession. Pick up your cross and follow me all the time. In those days when they were baptized in water publicly, they were putting an X on their chest. I'm a Christian. You can persecute me. Today we clap, take pictures. It's not the same thing. They're committed. Now, are you committed to giving up the gospel or giving it out? Rather than allowing people to remain in their ignorance, would you rather give it to them? I hope so. Do you see them as lost and under God's wrath, those who don't know Christ? Or do you just kind of just oblivious to it? Do you see them as being able to be saved regardless of their conduct, their back, their background, whatever they may be, that the power of God can do that? He's going to deal with that. Ephesians 2, 11, 13 gives us the one of the most darkest definitions of, of the condition of lost man. Listen. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called in circumcision by what is called circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope without Christ in the world. Whoa, dark. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What a difference. But God, what a difference. How committed are you to the fact that Christ is the only way to God? Are you tolerant and open-minded to include other ways and other names that can get you to heaven? This is the tenor of our day. Make no judgments. Be tolerant. Everything is good. No, it isn't. Do you believe that Mary can get you to heaven? Do you believe Buddha can get you to heaven? Do you believe Krishna can get you to heaven? If you do, then you're an enemy of the gospel. It's real simple. Do you believe in the goodness of man that can save him, that he can get to heaven? We're all going to be up there. It's not what the Bible teaches. Listen to the words of Jesus. He's very, very, very intolerant. He's very narrow. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father by me. Only one interpretation you can get from that. Second one, one name. Act 4.12, there's no other name given under heaven and earth whereby we must be saved. Jesus Christ. One interpretation. 2 Timothy 2.5, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. One mediator, one person between two. Only one interpretation. To me, the gospel is real clear, real narrow. Lord, well, there are many to be saved. He says, few strive to enter in. I've told you often, if you're bumping elbows on the way to heaven, you're on the wrong road. Churches are crowded, but not the road to heaven. So think about it. The proclamation about the gospel is, I am not ashamed of the gospel 
of Christ. Notice, secondly, he gives us the definition of the gospel. The apostle Paul confidently declared the gospel is the power of God for salvation. For it is the power of God to salvation. The word power, as you know, is dunamis. It means dynamic with the idea of inherent power residing by virtue of its own nature. The word appears 120 times in the New Testament, eight times in Romans. It's key. The word is used for the mighty works of Jesus in the second coming in Matthew eleven twenty three and twenty four thirty. The word is used by, of Jesus uh, as he returned from the wilderness under the power of the Spirit in Luke four fourteen. The word is used of the miracles throughout the book of Acts, especially Acts 1, 8, the Holy Spirit will come upon you to be witnesses. The word is identified as divine power, God's, which is unlimited in contrast to the limited power of man. With salvation, with man, it's impossible. With God, it is possible. The power of the gospel was in direct contrast to the awesome power of Rome. The power of the gospel was superior to the power of Rome. The power of Rome was feared in the city of Rome, that imperial city. Everybody longed to make at least one trip in their lifetime to it. Paul was planning his. You see, the word salvation means to rescue, to deliver, describing the efficiency of God through the gospel. The English word salvation comes from the Latin word for health. At first, it described the health of the body, but later, it came to be applied to the health of the soul and the spirit. And as you know, words do change from generations. Most of the times, it takes a long time, but there's a few words that we have in our language that have changed also, and we can see the difference. When I was growing up, you're going to, you're going to buy some thongs and then flip-flops. And I, I was, really wasn't born in the Stone Age. It was only the 60s and the 70s that were still called flip-flops. The 80s were still called flip-flops, okay? So it's changed very, in a very short time. The word used spiritually conveys everything that brings about safety and health to the true fulfillment of the soul and the spirit then. In fact, the word salvation is translated deliver and health in the old King James in Acts 7.25 and 27.34. The word salvation is used due to the fallen condition of man, who he really is apart from God. Man is separated from God due to sin, but can be reconciled to God through the gospel. Man cannot hide his sins, but God can forgive his sin through the gospel. Man cannot be free from his sin nature, but God can give him a divine nature through the gospel. Man is a child of the devil, but God can make him a child of God through the gospel. Man is under the wrath of God and condemned to eternal punishment, but God can pardon him through the grace and impart to him eternal life through the gospel. Man is self-centered, but God can make him God-centered through the gospel. Today, the gospel is not being preached. We've got sermonettes for Christianettes. We've got nice little funny stories, clever things, but not the gospel. Notice the Apostle Paul 
confidently declared the gospel is for everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. The need is for every person. There is no exception. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All means all. No exception. Paul also said in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, that's the first Adam, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. So we're all sinners because Adam was the federal head. When we get to chapter 5, we'll look at it more in detail, okay? But then in Romans 5.16, he says, And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. That's the first Adam. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. That's the last Adam. Not second, but last, Jesus Christ. One God is in trouble, the other one can get us out of trouble. The invitation is all-inclusive, universal, whosoever will. I don't understand how people can believe that God chose a few only to be saved and then chose the remainder in the majority of humanity to be damned. That's not what's taught in the Bible. The Bible says whosoever believes, John 3, 16, the whosoever's are all over. He died for all. All can choose to go to heaven. Your decision to go to heaven is yours alone. The provisions have been made. God does not decide whether you go to heaven. You decide whether you go to heaven or hell. It's a, it's a terrible doctrine. Reformed theology, Calvinism. All who believe appears three times in Romans. Romans 3.22 says, Even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus to all and on all who believe. Now, how can you get only a few from that? That God chose only a few. You can't. Romans 4.11 And he received the sign of circumcision, the seal of, right, of the righteousness of faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And then Romans 10.4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. It's a choice that we make. The word all is the word, in the, when you transcribe it to English, it's P-A-S, and it appears 67 times in Romans. Translated all, every, whatever, everyone, whatsoever. Now how can you interpret all, every, any, whatsoever, the chosen frozen? You would have to corrupt John 3.16, and they do. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, his only begotten son, that only the elect, and they substitute whosoever for the elect. That's corruption. 1 John 2, 2 says he is the propitiation for our sins, and not only our sins, but the whole world. Amazing. The condition is a personal belief in the gospel message that God is able to save man through repentance. The word belief here means to think, to be true, persuaded, or to have confidence in. Believing is an action word, verb, and it means I do certain things in view of the gospel. I acknowledge my sin. I confess my sin. I abandon my sin. And whenever possible, I make restoration for my sin, though always it's not always possible, nor is it wise to do so. Listen to Revelation twenty-two seventeen. 
And the Spirit and the Bride says, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the waters of life freely. You have a choice where you spend eternity by responding to the gospel. Pastor Xavier Reese with simple truths that can set you free, drawn from the New Testament book of Romans chapter 1. And you can request your copy of today's message on CD for further study. Ask for Nothing But the Pure Gospel. It's available for only $4. This CD includes the complete message as it was originally delivered. Once again, the title to ask for is Nothing But the Pure Gospel, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com